Hey, welcome to uh, Leadership 104. I feel very loud. Am I, am I loud? Or am I just... I'm always loud. Uh, it's all right. You can... Michael will keep an eye on it for me. Uh, I'd like to start with some jokes as of last session because it went so well. Uh, I, I, I got some from my kids. Why can't your nose be 12 inches long? Because then it would be a foot. Well done. You've got to think, think literally. They asked me this one, and I thought it was stupid. Why shouldn't you write with a broken pen? Because it's pointless. Although there are a number of reasons why you shouldn't write with a broken pen. So it's not really a funny joke. Uh, and I like this one. They didn't know what it was, but it made me laugh. What is the difference between a hippo and a zippo? One is really heavy. The other is a little lighter. Ha, <laughs> ha, Hey? Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, welcome to uh, Leadership Night 104. It's uh, so cool to have you guys here. Josh and Ioana are just coming in now. And uh, that ends my lesson on turning up on time. Oh, hi, guys. <laughs> really cool to see you here. Thanks for coming. It's great. Yeah, very good. Hey, who was, who was here for the last one? Leadership 103, who was here for that one? Very good. Who can remember what we talked about? What was the word that we talked about? Leadership 103. Conflict. That's right, conflict. All right. You, you've got a great memory, T, but you're going right back like two months ago to sort of Leadership 102. So we talked about conflict. For those of you that weren't here, uh, just very quickly, we talked about conflict. We talked about how in the same way that in Leadership 102, we talked about, uh, what did we talk about in Leadership 102? Failure. We talked about how you can't have success without failure. If you take failure out of your life, then you take success out of your life. So last session, we talked about if you take conflict out of your life, then really what you're removing is any opportunity for any kind of deep or meaningful relationship. Because in the same way that success is built on failure, you have to be prepared to fail in order to succeed. If you want to build deep and meaningful connections and deep and meaningful relationships, you have to be prepared to go through conflict. There's a there's a distinct uh, parallel between the amount of conflict that you're prepared to walk through with someone and how deep that relationship gets. So in my life, the most intimate and deep relationship I have is with my wife. She also happens to be the person that I have the most conflict with. Now that doesn't mean that I'm having conflict all the time, but compared to how often I might have you know, an emotional reaction, an allergic reaction, conflict, raise my voice, get angry, get upset with somebody else in my life, it happens with her most. And yet she's the person that I have the deepest relationship with. If I go down to the next level, my deepest relationships are with my brother, my mum, my extended family. Again, they are the ones that I have the next amount of conflict with. And so when you look at your relationships, you can see that conflict and intimacy and deep relationships go hand in hand. And so if you're someone that avoids conflict, if you're someone that doesn't enjoy conflict, then what you're sentencing yourself to is a life of you know, very shallow relationships because you need healthy and productive conflict in order to build deep relationships. We talked about the fact that leadership is living inside the 10%, right? That most people have a 10% zone that they just refuse to go into. There's 10% of conversations we don't want to have, uh, you know, when it comes to pushing ourselves physically. Dan would know this as a personal trainer, uh, that most people get to like that 90% exertion and they just don't want to go any further than that. Uh, most of us tend to live in the 90 
90% and avoid the 10. Uh, leadership is all about living in the 10%. It's having those conversations that you don't want to have, pushing yourself uh, where you need to push yourself, giving out where you need to give out. And so we talked last session about needing to learn to embrace conflict. We recognise that all great relationships, the ones that last over time, require productive conflict in order to grow. And we talked about the fact that there are really two main types of conflict. There is personal conflict, which is not productive. So personal conflict is you're attacking the person, you're attacking who they are, you're attacking their identity, I don't like you, you smell weird, you know, you always have bad ideas, you're a negative person, oh, totally typical that you would say that. That's really unproductive, negative, personal conflict. Productive conflict is what we call ideological conflict, and that's when you can limit yourself to conflicting over ideas or, um, you know, uh, systems or uh, whatever it might be. And so uh, in a team environment, in a leadership environment, what you want to be doing is trying to generate as much ideological conflict as possible because that is the recipe for getting the best outcome. You want as much conflict as possible in a healthy, productive way uh, because that is the recipe for getting the best possible outcome. Uh, otherwise, what happens is you get leaders that shut down conflict because they fail to recognise the difference between personal and ideological, and they are often very similar, right? It would be nice if personal conflict was emotional and uh, hyped and loud, and ideological conflict was very intellectual and quiet and smooth. Then you could easily go, ah, that's personal, that's ideological. But often, ideological conflict can be just as passionate, just as emotional. People can get just as fired up about their ideas. Uh, and so as a leader, you need to recognise that that's really important to embrace that, not only in a team dynamic, but also when you've got people coming to you one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Don't shy away from conflict. And then we talked about uh, how to receive feedback well. Remember we talked about the three triggers. We talked about truth triggers, uh, relationship triggers, and identity triggers. And so if you weren't here for the last session, we won't go into all of those now, um, but it is well worth listening to the podcast and even downloading the slides if you want to. Who found the triggers thing helpful in the last... Yeah, right, Joanna, hand right up. I bet you went home and had a good chat with Josh about all the things that he could do better. Um, so like identity triggers, that was one. I had a conversation with someone on Saturday and they hit two. I identified two identity triggers that they hit in my life. Uh, and so we had to have a conversation in my office, uh, which I said would take five minutes, lasted about 40 minutes. Um, and, and there were two, and so the two identity triggers that I said, look, this is what's been hit. Number one was, and I've talked about this before, right, is that I have an identity trigger around my motives being called into question. Uh, and so I had said something, and they had, they had basically come back and said, hey, the reason you said that is because you're feeling this. You've, you've said that out of anger and frustration, and you, you know, you were having a go at someone. Uh, and I was like, whoa, okay, that really set me back. And then the other identity trigger that I have, which I'm working on, because uh, I don't think it's healthy, is that I often, um, I take it very personally if I feel like someone has in any way insinuated that I've done a poor job as a leader, or that I've led badly, or that I've reacted in a way that a leader shouldn't react. Uh, and I think probably that's, that's based out of, for me, some unhealthy identity issues around leadership. So uh, that's something that I need to work on uh, because ultimately what you want is for someone to be able to say whatever they want and it doesn't, it doesn't 
pingy. Like, you know, you don't see Jesus reacting and getting all stroppy because someone's hit a nerve of his. Uh, but I was able to at least identify, okay, these are two issues that I'm carrying. One, when people question my motives. Two, when they insinuate that I've made a, a poor leadership call or I've conducted myself in a way that a leader shouldn't. Um, so, not always fun being a leader, but there you go. So that was uh, 103. Uh, I want to have a bit of fun with you tonight, and I want to talk about uh, this evening how to connect. Uh, John Maxwell says that to be successful, you must work with others. To do that at your absolute best, you must learn to connect. Oh, is my clicker working? There you go. Wasn't pushing it hard enough. What a bad leader. Um, Right, if you want to work with others or be successful, you've got to work with others. And to do that at your absolute best, you must learn to connect. This isn't rocket scientists or rocket science, right? Ha. Um, no one is an island. You have to work with other people. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say that you know, in a Christian context, I believe that even the, the assignment that God has given you, the purpose that he has created you for, requires you to work with other people. I don't believe that God gives anybody an assignment and says, this is just for you, now go into the forest and don't talk to anyone and don't you know, involve anybody, it's just for you and me. Like His whole system around the way that he builds kingdom is that we're supposed to work with each other, around each other, for each other, uh, and that's true in, in any context. And so if you want to be a great leader, uh, you have to learn to, be, uh, to, to connect well with people, to work well with others. I like this guy, Tom Ford. He says that the most important things in life are the connections that you make with others. Now, I don't know who he is, but when I found that photo, I thought, he clearly knows what he's talking about, right? Like, when I came across, I was doing a quick Google for, like, you know, famous quotes about connection, and this one came up, and I thought, I thought, I, I, yeah. I thought, he, he, that deserves to be in this PowerPoint. Like, I thought, you know what, Tom, you've earned it. So, uh, and he went, I don't know who he is. He's apparently, he's a, as a fashion designer that doesn't know how to design shirt buttons. Uh, Anyway, uh, here's, here's a more, uh, more authoritative figure, Paul J. Myers. So Paul J. Myers says that connection is the key to personal and to career success, and I would add to that, and to leadership success. Paul J. Meyer, for those of you who don't know, pretty much uh, invented or started the self-help, self-improvement uh, genre, and he's got a handful of teachings around two dozen programs that combined have sold over $2 billion dollars. Uh, around the world. He is the most successful self-help, self-improvement guru uh, in the world, dead or alive. And so when someone with that amount of experience that's generated over $2 billion worth of uh, content says that connection is the key to personal and career success, how many people know that that guy is probably worth listening to? Uh, and again, this is not rocket science, this is common sense. If you want to be successful in life, you have to learn to build relationship, not burn relationships. You've got to learn to build connection, not burn connection. All the most successful people in the world, the greatest leaders in the world, were amazing at connecting with people. Jesus is the ultimate example of how to connect with people. He was phenomenal at it. And then how often do you hear about someone who's just, you know, uh, the opposite, right? The people that end up going off and doing horrible things and ending up in jail and stuff like that, you always hear they were a bit of a loner. You know, they were a bit, they were a bit out there. They were a bit strange. You don't hear too many stories about people that were perfectly well-adjusted and 
coping well in society with good healthy relationships going off and doing something crazy, right? Connection is super important. So what I wanted to talk about tonight, just in the next half an hour or so, uh, three behaviours that build connection quickly and effectively. And so in the context of tonight, I'm not talking about how to build connection over the next 12 months with someone. I'm not talking about how to take someone from being a friend and turn them into your BFF. Like I'm talking about how to, how to meet someone for the first time and have a conversation with them, have an interaction with them, um, you know, have some sort of uh, impartation between the two of you. And at the end of it, you've formed a connection. Who's ever had a conversation? You meet someone for the first time and uh, like a minute into it or two minutes into it or you have a 10-minute convo and then they leave and you're like, wow, that was an amazing connection. Like, I just felt that we were, right from the start, man, something's going on there. Like, what was that about? And then you have a conversation with someone else, or maybe you have two or three conversations, or maybe you pastor a church and they go to it, and you're trying to, like, you know, build this connection, and, and you just, there's something there. Have you ever felt that? Like, I just can't, like, Amanda, right? You felt that for you? Yeah, yep, yep. Don't point at me while you're nodding your head. Um, like, so, so we all know what it's like to connect with someone just automatically and then not, like, what's the difference? Why is it that you can connect with someone and they're amazing and then someone else just, it's not, it's not, like, what, are they a bad person? No. What's going on there? And so what we're going to look at today is just, yeah, three things that you can do to build connection quickly and effectively. And in a, in a church context, and you can apply this to your personal life, I love the idea that I can have a five-minute interaction with someone and they walk away feeling valued and appreciated and loved and connected. Like, I, I love the idea. Imagine if you could do that to everybody all the time. It doesn't matter who you connect with, whether it's someone at the supermarket, whether it's a friend, whether it's someone on the side of the road. Five-minute conversation, and they walk away going, wow, that, man, that person's like, I just loved that interaction. Uh, and what got me thinking about this, right, was that we had some friends come around to our house for lunch a while back, and uh, we were just chatting and hanging out and stuff. And then all of a sudden, during lunch, she just goes, oh, oh. You know, like, she had this idea pop into her head, and she's an external processor. So we all went, what? And she said, oh, no, it's nothing. I just, she said, I, I, I dropped such and such off to school this morning, and I bumped into one of the mums from one of the other kids, and I haven't met her before. And she said, we had, like, this five-minute conversation. And uh, she made this statement. She said, I don't know what it is about her, but I liked her straight away. And I don't normally like people straight away, but I liked her straight away. And then the conversation kind of carried on, and, and I was not paying any attention because I was thinking about this like, I don't know what it is about her, but I liked her straight away. And I thought, that's like a freaking superpower. Like the ability to just have a five-minute conversation. And the reason she'd gone, oh, was because she knew that she had a mutual friend and she had said to herself when she left, I'm going to get her number from my mutual friend and then reach out and have a play date with our kids. But really, it's just a chance for me to connect with her, is what she was thinking. And so I, I just, I mulled that over for weeks, right? This idea that you could have a conversation with someone and just like them straight away. Uh, and, and then I went down this rabbit hole where I decided that out of all the superpowers I could have, that would be the one that I would want and... I decided that I could have super strength, but if I had super strength, then everyone would just end up, like I got really into it, everyone would end up ringing me and asking me to move pianos and things like that, because you would, right? Like if you were moving house and you're like, oh, I could ask like four friends to come around or 
Mr. Incredible, he can just like, you would, you'd all be calling me. And I thought, ah, then I'd have to be lying about how like I cut my hair and I lost it. And I went down this whole, this whole rabbit hole. And, and then I thought I could have invisibility. And I thought, I just do not trust myself with that. Um, and uh, fly, I got into flying as well. Like I thought about flying. And I thought, you know, everyone always says, oh, I'd have flying. But I thought in every other area of life, whether you're walking or running or swimming, like it's very physically tiring. So I don't know why we think flying would just be like, standing there and I thought I bet you it's tiring I wouldn't want to do that either so I decided anyway that this ability to have people like you straight away is like the superpower that I would choose because then I can make them move my piano and get me stuff and and all that kind of stuff so we're going to look at these three these three things all right but here's what I want to be very clear about right from the start and that is this you have to be authentic um, and, you know, and this is a training that I actually do. I was doing this before I became a pastor, and people would pay money to come and listen to me talk about this kind of rubbish, um, which is awesome. <laughs> you guys are getting that for free, but you're getting a very quick, uh, quick, quick lesson at it. But this is what I would say to them. Is, look, if you go away and you try and apply these principles to your life, um, but it's just papering over an inauthenticity, a lack of genuineness, then it's not going to work. Uh, you have to be uh, authentic. You know, John Maxwell, again, he says, connection begins with valuing others. And again, this, this has to be the why behind why we do what we do. It is because I want you to feel valued. I want you to feel appreciated. I want you to feel loved. You know, I often, I'll often pray like, God, I would love it if people could have a conversation with me and walk away feeling like they've just had a conversation with you. Like, how cool would that be? Uh, all right. I found a book uh, that, the other day that I thought looked like a great read. Uh, Faking it, how to seem like a better person without actually improving yourself. Uh, you know, and a lot of people have that approach to life, but the truth is right that you can't fake it. I love the comment by a musician called Charlie Parker, uh, who says, if you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. Isn't that a great saying, right? If you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. And that is the absolute truth, right? So as we look at these three things, what I want you to not do is think, oh, this is an opportunity to manipulate some relationships, to move this person around, to get this person to like me. You know, if there's a girl that you like, you can't go off and use these three things and then it's not like a magic love potion or anything like that, right? You've got to be authentic. So you're ready for them, these three things. We're going to burn through them pretty quick, but we'll have some fun with them. Number one, you need to... Remember and use their name. This is such a big deal. Like, remember and use their name. Uh, Dale Carnegie is a, a guy who wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. He says this, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. There's this weird, like we just we love our name being used. We love hearing our name. Who's ever walked through like one of those tacky two dollar shops and they have like that display unit with four sides on it and it's on like a circle and you can turn it and they just have key rings with names on it. I can't. Have you, can you walk past? I cannot walk past those things. I have to like stop. There's a, there's a J, and I'm not looking for anybody's name except my name, right? Like you're just looking for your own name. Where is the Josh? And you look at it and you go, there it is. I don't know why we do it. It's like I know what my name is. I know how to spell it. I know what it's going to look like. There it is. Hey, well I know, right? And, oh yeah, and and you know what? I feel your pain, right? You've grown up your whole life, T-Boy, without that being on there. Hey, yep. You know, I couldn't tell you how many bottles of Coke I've drunk since I brought it. That stupid share a Coke with promo. Like, oh my gosh. 
right? And there's just something about hearing our names. When I was over in the States, I went to Florida like a few years ago. Uh, long story, but I'll tell you the short version. While we were over there, I somehow found myself staying in an Airbnb with four women between the ages of 40 and 55. And while we were there, there was a hurricane warning that came in, and they said, the American equivalent of the civil defense came in, and they said, you got 45 minutes to stock up on your supplies, and then we're locking the whole neighborhood down. You're not allowed out for 24 hours, or until we say. And we were across the road from a supermarket, so we all ran across to the supermarket. So it's me and these, these women, and... and I thought, okay, we need like, you know, bread, we need like meat, we need like, and I'm not even joking, they all just went, and then they came back 10 minutes later and all they had was chocolate and wine. That was all they had was chocolate and wine. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't even drink. I was like, what are we going to like survive on this for like 36 hours? Like this is not, I'm not even joking. We went, I don't drink wine, but they drank a lot of it. And we had the wildest game of charades you have ever seen in your entire life. It was like, oh my goodness. But while I was at the supermarket, I found a bottle of wine and it was called Josh. I'm not even, it was called Josh. And I was like, I, well, I have to buy this. All right, and so I don't drink it. So I bought it, I took it back. They drank it. Apparently it was very average wine. And, uh, and then when they finished it, I couldn't bear to throw it out. And so I packaged it very gently and I brought it all the way home from the other side of the world. And now I have this bottle of wine beside my bed, which is literally, it, it actually says, you know, Josh. And then it's from, it's from Josh Sellers. It's not Fosh Mender. Are you... It actually says underneath Josh Sellers. But I mean, if you want me to pick on you for the rest of the night, then this is a good way to start, right? So my, my point is that there's something special about our name, and I don't want to get too spiritual on it, but I actually think there's at least a spiritual thing that happens around using people's names. But how many people feel like this when it comes to names? How many people would say, I've heard this so many times, I have a bad memory for names, how many people would say that? Like, come on, I have bad memory for names. Everyone says, I have a bad memory for names. I have bad memory for names. Uh, and so let's get a little bit challenging for you tonight. Uh, if it's important to you, you find a way. If not, you find an excuse. Uh, there are so many people that I meet that say to me, I'm terrible with names. Oh, I'm just terrible with names. Why? Why? That's actually not how brains work, right? Brains don't just pick a category and then decide to suck at that one thing. Right? If, if you have a bad memory, then you have a bad memory for everything, not just like one thing. And the other way that brains work is that brains are amazing and they have this ability because in every second you are just being bombarded with so much information all the time. Like right now, your brain is processing your body temperature, it's processing sound, it's processing vision, uh, it's processing a whole bunch of stuff, your heart's beating, your lungs are inflating, your blood's flowing around and your brain does this amazing thing where it goes, you know what, uh, Jason, I'm going to just drop everything that you don't need to know about. So all this information comes in and as soon as it comes in, it goes, not important, not important, not important, not important. I'll take care of all of that on a subconscious level. And then if something important pops up, it bumps it up to your conscious mind. And that's when you go, oh, this is something that I need to be thinking about. The reason that so many of us struggle to remember names is because, A, we have told ourselves over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that we do not remember names well. And so our brain has gone, okay. I received that message loud and clear, but also because we have not told our brains that remembering a name is very, very important to us. 
we've, we've, at some point along the line, we've gone, oh, it's not that big a deal. And partly it's because so many people say that they struggle with names. So let me put a challenge to you. Next time someone comes into your world that you've met a couple of times, or once even, instead of saying to them, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, just say, I'm sorry, you're not important enough for me to remember your name. Because the truth is that if they were important enough, then you would remember, right? Uh, In a longer version of this presentation, I put a photo up of a woman who happens to be uh, a woman called Alice. Alice, she's called Alice. She's she's like Madonna. Um, And she is the uh, heir to the Walmart fortune. She's actually worth, as of 2021, she's worth a tick over $62 billion. Now, if I said to you, how many people know who she is? Everyone in the room would say, I don't know who that is. And I put her name up there, and I say, okay, at the end of this presentation, if you can remember her name, I will give you $1,000. How many people reckon that they would sit there for the rest of the presentation just saying, Alison, 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 Alison. Like you wouldn't listen to anything else, right? You'd grab your phone out, you'd write it down. If you brought pen and paper, you'd be carving it onto your, you know, onto your arm. You would do whatever you had to do to not forget that name, and at the end of it, you would remember it. Because that's the way that our brain works. Another issue that our brain has is a a fairly recent phenomenon called digital dementia, which medical scientists are now starting to talk about being an actual thing. And that's just, it recognises the fact that our brain and the memory component of our brain operates just like any other part of our body. And that is that the more you use it, the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. The less you use it, the less you exercise it, the weaker it gets. And in 2021, we use our memory far less than any other generation before us. How many people know their friends' numbers off by heart? Anyone? No, because our phones do it for us. How many people know basic math? Most people struggle with basic math, right? Because we have a calculator on our phones. How many people have to remember where they need to be at any set date or time? We have a calendar on our phones. See, I can still remember... Uh, my phone number for when I was 10 because you had to. And so uh, what these scientists are recognising is that more and more we are using our memory less and less and as a result it's just getting worse and worse and then we struggle to remember something and somewhere we've heard enough people say, oh, I just struggle with names and we've decided that's a thing. That's like a, that's like a mental thing that I have where I just can't remember names. It's not a thing. It's just that we haven't prioritised names. And here's the thing that I love about this is that in today's society, it is so prevalent for people to not remember your names that when you do remember it, when you make it a priority to remember it, it it stands out. Uh, and, And I would say this, in case you're feeling bad, I would say it is so common now for people to not remember names that it's almost not expected that you would remember it. And so if you don't remember somebody's name, I don't think that makes them feel less or devalued. They're not going to walk away going, oh... But if you can remember their name, that makes them feel special. It makes them feel valued. Um, You know, the number of times we've had people come into this church uh, and I have remembered their name because it's important to me and it's a priority for me, and they have reacted. I remember when uh, we had uh, Wendy and Simon from uh, Belfast come in, like when we first started. And I remember they came in and they introduced themselves to me, and then they came back a couple of weeks later, and I just went, hey, Wendy, hey, Simon. And those of you that know Wendy would know that she's like this. She was just like... 
She said, you remembered our names? I said, yeah, well, there's only two of them. You know, like it's, not, it's not that hard, right? Um, but people react so positively when you remember their names because it's just something that you don't see anymore. We had a couple come to church uh, three weeks ago, and they sat over there. Their names were Andrew and Rosemary. And uh, I am, they haven't come back yet, but if they do... Uh, I'll go over and I'll say, hey, Andrew, hey, Rosemary. And I, I just, I look forward to the reaction on their face because it's like you're a magician. It's like you've just made like a magic card disappear. Like the responses that you get, it's a lot of fun. So what I want to do really quickly is I want to just walk you through a mnemonic on how to help you remember names. But what I want to communicate most importantly is how important it is for us to remember it. Don't, uh, you know, every single person in this room, I know you, you're intelligent, you are articulate, you have good memories. There's no reason for you to just be like, I just can't remember names. Just make it a priority uh, to remember names. And here's some helpful tips for you, okay? So if you're taking notes, then you want to write this down, that I'm going to be suave. So suave means like sexy, like James Bond, right? If you're a Sean Connery fan, uh, he's dead now. It's a bit sad. If you like Sean Connery, maybe you're more of a um, Daniel Craig, James Bond, He's pretty cool. Or my least favourite, Pierce Brosnan. Who's a Pierce Brosnan fan? Yeah. Well, he was, but have you seen him in Mrs. Doubtfire? He's the bad guy in Mrs. Doubtfire, and so I can't sort of handle him. So, or maybe when you think of Suave, you think of uh, man's dandruff shampoo. Like, seriously. Why, who comes up with a man's dandruff shampoo and says, let's call it Suave? Like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm feeling right now when I'm rubbing this through my hair. Okay. So be suave is very simple, okay? So it's five letters, we're going to be suave, and we're going to be S-U-A-V-E. So here's just some helpful tips for you to remember people's names. It's the sort of thing you'll have to work on, but just decide it's important to you, that it's going to matter, because it helps people connect. So number one is you're going to say it. Um, and, and I got this uh, teaching from a guy called Jim Quick. I don't know if you've heard of Jim Quick, but he's this, this little wee Asian guy who had a brain injury when he was four. He had a car accident, and he got held back in school, and he couldn't read, and he couldn't talk properly, and he just got teased mercilessly. And so when he got a little bit older, he decided, you know what, I'm going to take control of my life, and he just threw himself into memory. And, and now he's amazing. You can watch him on stage. Someone will just flick down, like literally a pack of cards, just turn the cards over like this. One, two, three, four. At the end of the whole pack, he'll just go back and run through every single card in the pack. He's got an amazing recall. And so he's a huge believer of this idea that you can train your brain, you can train your memory, you can get better and better and better at things like this. So that's where this comes from. So say it. So what I do when I meet someone for the first time, so jump up, I'm going to use an example. So let's pretend that we've never met, all right? So I'm going to come and I'm going to say, hey, I'm Josh. I'm Shiva. Sorry? I'm Shiva. Shiva. All right. So that, well, that's the classic number right there. I've given it out like four times. But normally what I would do, I'd say, hey, I'm Josh. You'd say, hey, I'm Shiva. And I would say, hey, Shiva, nice to meet you. Now, it sounds like a simple thing, but the way that your brain is wired, if I just think, oh, nice to meet you, or Shiva, then it doesn't build it into my brain as much as if it hears me say it out loud. All right, so now if you came at me and you introduced yourself first. Hey, I'm Shiva. Hey, Shiva, I'm Josh. Nice I'll, I'll, just, it's just, it just rolls off the tongue, right? You, just, you use their name. Thanks, mate. You can jump down. So you're going to say it, all right, at the very, very start. Then you're going to use it during the conversation. Now, you don't want to be OTT with this, not in every sentence. 
So Shiva, nice to see you Shiva. Thanks for coming Shiva, it's great to have you here Shiva. Like, that's weird, right? But just during the conversation, you just drop it in two or three times. So either at the start of a question, so just instead of saying, hey man, like, what do you do for a job? Instead of saying man, I would just say, so Shiva, what do you do for a job? Or if you're talking to me and I'm saying, well, actually I'm a pastor, I would just say, that's a great question Shiva. Or, well, Shiva, I'm actually a pastor. It just, you just do it two or three times. You use it in the conversation. And again, you're just reminding yourself of what the name is. Uh, the A stands for ask about it, which doesn't apply to every name, but in Shiva's case, it absolutely would. I'd be like, all right, where does that, you know, wow, Shiva, where does that come from? Like, is that Indian? Is that, what is that? Sorry? It's God's name. Wow. Okay, then. You've got five different names. All right, this is a bad person to start with. Okay. Um, <laughs> Right, so if it's, if it's an unusual name, like if it's in a layer even, I might ask about it. I'll often ask people, just because I'm trying to, again, burn it into my brain, I'll ask people how to spell their name. Don't do that if their name's like Bob or something. <laughs> you want to look like, you know, hey, what's your name? Judy. Judy, is that like a J-U-D-Y? Or, I mean, you might even be able to get away with that because it could have an I at the end of it. You know, But just be smart about what you ask. So if it were a layer, I'd be like, wow, that's a beautiful name. What, is that, what does that mean? Peaceful spirit and olive branch. That's in Alaya. How did you how do you spell that? Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And then I just sort of carry on. But again, I'm asking about it. Uh, the V stands for visualize it. And again, this depends on the name. So sometimes, if you're a particularly visual person, it helps to like word associate a name. Particularly if someone's got like a a common name or a weird name. So any name really. Actually, now I think about it. One of the things that. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I like to do, if I meet someone who has a name of a friend of mine, then I, will, I just picture them driving in the same car, right? So if I met someone called Denise for the first time, like, you know, during the week, which, oh, it's Denise, I would just think Denise. And so I just picture Denise, and I just put them in the same car, like just driving somewhere. And it just helps associate, you know, who that is. No, not your car. Not What? I don't literally abduct them and put them in your car. I just think in my mind, I think, you know, let's just put them in the same car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 just put them in, in any car. No, it's fine. It's fine, Denise. It's great. All right, going to visualize it. And then the last thing, the E, is exit with it. And so, again, at the end of the conversation, when you leave, you're just going to say, hey, you know, it's so, so great to talk to you, Shiva. Thanks for hanging out with me. Um, I find very often I'll throw in things like mate or man or whatever, and so I just I constantly try and replace those with somebody's name. Um, and all of these things, you put all these things together, and what it means is that you're just much more likely to remember somebody's name, which is important if you want to be able to build connection with them. Um, I have, I'm not even joking, I have... And I wasn't in a great headspace at the time, but we left the church because the fourth time I went back, the person on the door asked me what my name was. And it was like the fourth time we'd been there. And by the fourth time, he even said to me, I know I've met you a couple of times, but what was your name again? And I wanted to be like, dude, like, this is your job. You're paid to do this because he was a paid on staff, you know, new person's thing. It just, once, once you make this a priority for you, you really start to notice how many other people just don't care about it. Uh, in fact, even in society now, I've noticed a disturbing trend where people don't even give their name when they meet you. It's happened a number of times now where I've met someone and said, hey, I'm Josh, and they've reached out, shaking my hand and said, hi, Josh, like, like nothing. 
And I've had to say, what's your name? Like, you're in, how long have you been an adult now? Like, this is basic human interaction, right? And these are Christian adults too, which I, for some reason, have a higher expectation on. Maybe I shouldn't, but anyway. All right, so first one is use their name. We're going to have to burn through these next two pretty quickly, or maybe we'll just do two. We'll see how we go. Uh, The second one is you want to find common ground. Again, this is not rocket science. Uh, People like people that are like them. This is not a hard and fast rule, but it is certainly what you get the majority of the time. People like people uh, that are like them. And so what you want to do in conversations, you want to look for this beautiful space in between you and them where there's an overlap, right? Um, and the faster you can do this, the faster you can build what we call um, rapport. And so I, when I'm talking with people, I'm looking for any overlap at all that we can kind of, you know, have this common conversation about. So family, age, uh, you know, gender, lifestyle, interest, uh, experiences, pets, education, travel, background, personality, likes, like anything at all where I can find an overlap and then we'll try and camp in there because that is like the most fertile ground for building connection and building uh, like rapport right at the start of a relationship. I had a lady ring me once in a, my last job. Uh, I worked in the construction industry. I was a tradesman and we had a free quote system so people would ring up for a quote, I'd go around, I'd quote it, and then you know, get the job or not get the job. And I remember an older lady ringing me once, she must have been, she sounded on the phone like she was in her 70s, and she wanted me to come around and look at something in her bathroom, but she was really unhappy about the idea that I would come into her house. She just wanted a price on the phone. And I said to her, look, I can't give you a price on the phone because it could be anything. Like, the issue that you're talking about, it could be, it could be anything. And that's why we have a free quote system, because we really need to see it uh, and have a look at actually, you know, what it is. And I could just hear in her voice, she was not keen. And, and uh, she said to me, oh, you know, I don't know, I don't want to. And then she said this, she said, I don't want to scare my guinea pigs, right? And I said, I said, oh, you've got guinea pigs? She said, yes. And I said, I used to breed guinea pigs when I was a kid. And she said, really? I said, yep. We had a guy called Marmite and a girl called Honey. And she laughed. And I thought, gotcha. And then we spent five, ten minutes talking about guinea pigs and how cute guinea pigs are. And then at the end she said, I I suppose you could come around and have a look. Right, so we just had to find this common ground. And for us, it was was guinea pigs. But for anyone else, it could be anything. And so uh, here's something to just, I'm shooting through this really fast. I normally do six things in a three-hour training. So rapport is, this is something just to help you remember it. It is really all people prefer others reflecting themselves. And this is true. And again, what we're trying to achieve here is an interaction with someone where they feel comfortable, they feel relaxed, they feel appreciated, they feel safe. Uh, and the fastest way to get somebody into that space is to kind of almost reflect back to them who they are and how they're showing up. Um, Because if you don't do that, if you come at them from a completely opposite perspective, then it makes people uncomfortable. Uh, And so let's just have some fun for 10 minutes and then we'll wrap it up on the four personality colors. Now, everybody here, I'm sure, has probably had some kind of teaching around, you know, the four different personality types, the phlegmatic and... Um, you know, Ricky, you'd know what they are. What are they? Phlegmatic, melancholic, sanguine, choleric, that's right. Um, oftentimes you hear them talked about as animals, right? You've got like beaver, you've got lion, you've got dog, you've got something else. 
otter, that's right. And then often you hear about them talked in colours as well. But even within the colour spectrum, I've heard different teachings with different colours. And so it's very confusing. But I'm going to use this colour system because this is the first one that I was exposed to years ago. And that is the yellow, blue, red, green colour system. And what we're going to take away from this is this idea that if you want people to feel comfortable around you, you want them to feel connected, you want to build rapport, you want them to walk out of your interaction and go, I don't know what it was about them, but I, I like them straight away, which is only going to be helpful from a business perspective, it's only going to be helpful from a church perspective, it's only going to be helpful from a leadership perspective, or even from a personal perspective. Uh, if you can send people away from an interaction with you going, I don't know what it was about them, but I like them and I want to be in their world more... Uh, this is a great way to do that. And we're not talking about adjusting your personality or changing the way that you behave. How many people recognize that no matter what your personality is, you have the ability to control it? You might be a really fun, outgoing, exuberant, extroverted personality, but you recognize that if you're sitting in a funeral, that's not appropriate. And so you're able to, even with all of that authenticity inside of you, just tone it down a little bit for an appropriate amount of time to get through what society says is a, an appropriate way to behave. And the opposite is also true. You know, you can be a very introverted, very quiet, very shy person, but if the, if the you know, social situation calls for it, for a short time, you can be a little bit extroverted and a little bit out there. Um, and so I'm not asking people to pretend to be someone you're not. I'm just saying learn to recognize who it is that you're talking to and understand that if you can meet them where they're at, you're going to help them feel a lot more comfortable and accepted uh, in the relationship. So let's run through these really quickly. So the yellow personality, this is a fun thing to do to recognize where you're at and to recognize where your friend's at and your spouse is at. A yellow personality is you know, very often a massage therapist. Uh, preschool teachers, fundraisers, nurses, social workers, charity volunteers, ministers, counsellors, pastors, caregivers, uh, customer service representatives. Not always, but very often people will end up moving into a career that reflects who they are as a person. Not all the time. But if you ask someone right off the bat, hey, look, what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, I'm, a, you know, I'm an aged care person. And you say, do you enjoy it? I love it. I just love caring for old people. Like, I'm going to go, okay, chances are they're probably going to fall into this category. Um, but a great follow-up question to what do you do is do you enjoy it? Because oftentimes you say to someone, hey, what do you do? And it's, oh, I do this. Do you enjoy it? Actually, no. You know, I, I maybe I went down the wrong career path or I've been doing it for a while and I've realized it's not for me. My dad spent eight years training to become an accountant and then lasted 12 months before he quit his job and went to go you know, sell computers, because what he loved about accountancy was sitting in a classroom, studying with friends, hanging out with people, swapping notes, you know, doing uni life, and then when he finally got his job, he was stuck in an office by himself, just scrolling through paper, and he was like, this is not what I want to do at all, uh, and so he quit after a year and, and never went back. A yellow personality's magic word is the word help. They just want to help people. They just care about helping people. So let me give you a fun scenario. Imagine that this room is uh, all set up for a party. It's filled with people. There's, you know, we've got our church tables out. There's eight people to a table. There's a band up on stage playing. And a yellow person walks in the back room. Music's on. It's nice and loud. There's chips and peanuts on the tables. Some people are up dancing, but most people are at their chairs. They walk in that back room and they look around and they see over here at the front right, there is a table with eight chairs around it and one person sitting at it. And it's Barry, Barry, an older gentleman. He's just sitting there by himself and he's just quietly drinking 
you know, a glass of wine or whatever it might be. How do you think a yellow person responds when they walk into this room and they look around, they see everyone having fun, and then they see Barry over there all by himself? What does a yellow person do? He makes a beeline for, for Barry, right? And by the time he gets to Barry, he's probably almost in tears because he's worked out you know, that Barry's all by himself and he's concocted this whole story about how Barry probably was married and his wife's probably just passed away recently and maybe on her deathbed she said, whatever you do, promise me you'll go to that party at church and he's gone to this party just to honour his wife and he's drinking that wine and you know, like, that's how yellow people operate, right? They're just extremely empathetic people. Another colour is the blue personality. So they love to party, Right? They love to have fun. They love to have adventure, trying new things, traveling, meeting new people. The magic word for blue people uh, is the word party. So someone that I know that's a blue person would be my brother, Jared. All right, so if a blue person walks into the same room, right, a blue person walks in, and the first thing they do is they announce to the whole room, hey, I'm here, the party can start, the party's arrived, come on. They walk in, they see all the people, they look over, they see Barry in the corner, and they go, ugh, right? And... Uh, <laughs> And so they, they go over to Barry and they go, hey, mate, there's only one of you here. Can I grab one of these chairs? And they get one of the chairs and they leave Barry there and they drag the chair all the way over to the table that's filled with people and they shove the chair into that table and they get in there and like, hey, guys, what's going on? Where's the party at? And, you know, that's how a blue person kind of operates. Then you have, of course, a red personality. A red personality walks into the room and they look around and they go, what on earth is going on here? Look, there's nine people sitting at that table and they've eaten all of the chips, they've eaten all of the peanuts. That guy over there is all by himself. He's got a whole bowl of peanuts to himself and a whole bowl of chips. That's not right. And then they walk in, they go, actually, when are we supposed to start? It's 7 o'clock, it's now 7.14. What's going on? All right, so a red personality comes in and they, they jump up and they grab the mic and they say, excuse me, everybody, excuse me, sorry. Um, right, you guys, there's nine people at your table. I need four of you to get up and come over and sit with Barry. Look at him. He's all by himself. He's got no friends. He can't eat all those peanuts by himself. Come on, get up, come over there. And when's dessert happening? What's going on? Right, so red personalities, they just love to be in charge, right? They want to be the boss. They want to tell other people what to do. They're great organisers. They're bottom line people who want results and they hate people with whiny excuses. Guess what colour I am? (laughs) Right, this is why Amanda and I get on so well. Amanda and I worked out some time ago that we're the same person with just different body parts. All right. And then you got the magic word for red people is challenge. Like we just love a challenge. Give me something to get my teeth into, right? Uh, red people in, in almost any situation, it's like I need to define winning and losing. What's the win look like in this? How do I know if I'm winning? How do I know if I'm succeeding? I need to know, you know, one way or the other. And then you got the green personality. Right? And the green personality, if you're looking at it from a job perspective, often engineers, accountants, computer geeks, scientists, uh, researchers. A green personality is the sort of person that says, oh, I've decided to go live on my own on an island and study the migration of crabs for two years. Like, that's how green people work, right? And so the magic word for green people is information. Now, here's the thing. Green people and blue people clash because blue people make all of their decisions on the spur of the moment, intuition, gut feeling, sounds like a great idea, let's just do it, don't think things through, and then even when things don't work out, they're still like, ah, it was fun anyway, right, green people are like, well, I need a couple of weeks to think about that, I need some spreadsheets, I need some Excel, I need some, I can see some, I can see some couples going, oh yes, I need, I need to crunch the numbers, 
and um, then maybe I'll come, I'll come back and you know, I've got some more questions. So I can tell when, I'm, when a green person comes into church, right? Because the first thing they do is they're like, what's the deal? What information have you got for me? Information, you hear that word. What, have you got life groups? What mission are you guys involved in? What time is this happening? When does this start? What about this? How do I tithe? All that kind of stuff. Like green people is all about information. So green people find blue people flaky. And blue people find green people boring. Right? Red people and yellow people clash because yellow people think red people are mean. And red people think yellow people are wimps. Just toughen up, man. Why, why are you crying? I just said you look fat in that. Like that's, you know, that's why are you crying about that for? Right, red people, here's the thing. Red people need yellow people in their world. So when, um, when you look at like a leadership team, one of the things that I look at in my team is like, okay, what colors have I got on there? Because if I built a whole team of red people, we would eat each other alive and then everybody else. Right? Uh, if you built a whole team with yellow people, then everyone would feel really loved and appreciated, but nothing would ever get done and no decision would ever be made. Right? If we had a team of green people, then maybe we would be thinking about starting to talk about looking at some church renovations about now. Maybe. But I, there's still a few numbers that I need before I can make that call. Right? And if we were all full of blue people, then we would have no money left next week because we spent it all on a huge party, and it was awesome. All right, so here's the thing. When you are talking to people, I'll finish with this. I said three things, but I, we'll just do two. When you're talking to people, what I'm looking for, what I'm listening for is, okay, what kind of, you know, where are you at on the spectrum? And no one's ever, like, clearly one thing, but I'm just very aware that I'm trying to reflect to them who they are. So if I'm talking to someone who's full of energy, full of life, love, you know, this kind of stuff, then I... I lift myself a little bit just to reflect that to them. And if I'm talking to someone who's very quiet, you know, very down to earth, um, clearly questions and stuff, then I bring myself down. Because if you're a green person and you've got a blue person in your face, you're like, this makes me uncomfortable, right? But if you're a blue person and you want to get excited and like, hey, how can I get on board? And the person you're talking to is like, well, you know, just take your time and... You know, make sure you've got, there's some, here's some things you need to, like, that's also really difficult to work with. So, um, does that make sense? Who, who recognised their colour in that? Let me see a show of hands. Yellows. Okay. Abel, who thinks Abel's a yellow? Okay, he does. You know, as I say, I reckon, I, I give people two. I give people like a major and a minor. Yeah. You know, I had some people say, to me, I had one lady say to me once, she said, I just think I'm all four. I said, there's a word for that, schizophrenic, right? So pick, pick one, and then you might have a secondary run, right? So like my, my number one is red, and then my number two is green. So I call, I call myself a Christmas tree. Like, I love, like, I'm in charge, great, but then I also really like numbers and making sure I'm making the right call. I find blues exhausting, and I find yellows frustrating, yeah, but I need yellows in my team because they're the ones that say, that's a great idea. But if you do it the way that you're planning on doing it, it's going to hurt this person. Um, so let's just think about you know, the human factor. Because oftentimes reds can stop seeing people as human beings and just more as like you know, steps along to what they need to see happen. Uh, what about blues? Who identified as blues? 
Yeah, interesting. Because when we did our spiritual aptitudes uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had one, one category called enthusiasts, and there were hardly any as well. So just looking through them, hardly any blues, which is interesting. Uh, greens. Yeah, some good amount of greens in here. I saw some light bulbs going off for you, Jason and Micah. That's good. And reds. Who reckons they were red? Yeah. Very good. Why have you been so shy about it? Man, own that. Own that. Yes. I want to be in charge. I want to do it. All right. Hey, it's just after 8 o'clock, so we can end it there. But really quickly, if you want it, uh, the last thing was just a simple tip. And let's talk about them. Um, Right, Dale Carnegie again, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. This is a great tip, right? Here it is. Being interested is more important than being interesting. Um, I speak to a lot of people that are carrying like a um, insecurity around the fact that they're boring. And I'm like, hey, you're, first of all, you're not boring, but actually that's not important. Because when you meet someone, what you want to be doing is talking about them as much as possible, right? This is how most people live their lives, just, just talking about ourselves. Todd Cashton, who's a psychologist at the George Mason University, says that being interested is the secret juice uh, of relationships. Uh, and the truth is that if you want to try and get some sort of vibe or feeling around where somebody is at on the personality spectrum you know, how to reflect to them a bit more of, of where they're coming from. You have to get them talking about themselves. Um, you know, a couple of interesting stats for you there. The average person um, will spend 60% of their time talking about themselves and then 40% about everything else. So you think about everything that's going on in the world that you could be talking about, we spend more time talking about just us than we do about everything else combined. Uh, and if you're on social media, studies are showing that's more up to like 80%. Um, and why do we do it? We do it because it feels good. And I'll finish with this. Uh, scientists got a bunch of electrodes and wired up different people to you know, read their brainwaves. And then we just sit down and have conversations with them. And what they discovered is that when they got them talking about world events or current events or political stuff or, you know, just general things around, you know, what they were doing during their day, their prefrontal cortex, whatever it was called, would, would light up. What do you... Lobe? Prefrontal lobe? Yeah. The, the bit of the brain that controls speech and thought, right? It just lit up like a firecracker. And they went, well, of course because that's the part of the brain that controls our thought and our speech. So you'd expect that to light up. But then they discovered this really interesting thing. When they switched to get people to start talking about themselves, about their own views, about what they thought about this, what they thought about that, what their opinion was on this, what their experience had been in this area, they noticed that an entirely different area of the brain lit up, and that was a part called the mesolimbic dopamine system which is the same part that lights up when you eat sugar. It's the same part that lights up when you do drugs. It's the same part that lights up when you have sex. It is the part of the brain that releases dopamine to the body. And so what they discovered was that literally, when you get people talking about themselves and you, uh, they feel that you care about their opinion and that their view matters to you and you're genuinely interested in who they are as a person, uh, it releases a dopamine hit into their brain. So talking about ourselves feels good. And feeling like someone is interested in us feels good. And we like people who make us feel good. It's not rocket science. We avoid people that make us feel bad. And we gravitate towards people that make us feel good. So those are just three tips for you tonight. Number, one, number three, working backwards, talk about them. 
Number two, find common ground. If you can't find common ground as far as subject matter goes, then just find common ground as far as how you are interacting with each other. And then number one, remember and use their name. Uh, use that B-Suave system if you can. When you go out of here tonight, just make a decision. Okay, I've, I've always said that I'm terrible at names. I'm going to get better. It's not going to happen overnight. And there's things that you can do to improve your memory as well. Like a, every uh, scientist that I, I've ever researched or looked at when it comes to brain conditioning says the same thing, and that is that you should have some sort of daily activity that you're doing to keep your brain active, whether it's a crossword puzzle, whether it's Sudoku, you know, word find, whatever it might be, just something to keep your brain kind of going. Cool. Anything else? Nah? Want some nice dessert? Let's go. Thanks, team.